Exodus chapter 6. Tonight's lesson is number 5, delivered by an outstretched arm. Delivered by an outstretched arm. We lear we've learned over the last couple weeks about, a lot about Moses. We don't have time to go back four weeks, but we do know this. We know that his first attempt at going before Pharaoh did not accomplish much at all. In fact, his first attempt at going before Pharaoh, do you remember what happened? Do you remember what Pharaoh told him? Obviously, he didn't let the people go, but do you remember what Pharaoh did as well? It has something to do with bricks. What's that? Yeah, he increased their burdens by not giving them the straw that they needed to make the brick. They had to go get their own. And so, you know, from let my people go, that turned out to be, well, you know, we're not going to let them go. But, by the way, they have to go find their own straw now as well. And so that, did, that didn't work out too well. That we would call, uh, potentially we would look at that and we would say that it was a failure. It was a failure. Um, it was rejected. Their request was completely and utterly rejected. But God reminded Moses that he is God. He is Jehovah. He is in control. And he is the preexistent one. He's the all-powerful one. And had promised, he had already promised to deliver. Numbers 23, 19 God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? It's a rhetorical question, right? Of course, if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And if God says he's going to uh, and shall he not make it good? If he's spoken and said, yes, he's going to make it good. So let's get into this outline here tonight. Number one, number one is a redemption. A redemption. So chapter 6, verse 6, Exodus. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt of the Egyptians. And will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. So this is God's reply. This is God's reassurance that God is going to work. That even though their workload was increased, um, they might have been despairing. They might have been fretting. Uh, they might have even been, you know, upset with Moses. But God reassures them. Moses, give them this message. Give them this reassurance. Notice he says, I will redeem you. I will get you out of Egypt. I promise. And so, obviously, Pharaoh had taken away the straw, but God still cared for his people. This was not limiting God. So we see the, secondly, underneath the, the our redemption is we see the provision of deliverance. The word there is deliverance. So God said, I'm going to bring you out of bondage. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh said. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh's doing. Uh, I'm still God. Notice he says, verse 6, 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, we all know what it's like to have someone promise something, and I'm sure we've all done this as well, promise something and not keep the promise. And we've probably been the one who promised something and didn't keep the promise as well. So we kind of know how that goes. But here's a promise from God. Notice we, earlier tonight we looked at Satan's I wills, and now we look at one of God's I wills. Unlike Satan, God came through. Satan didn't uh, uh, go, to the, go above the Most High, and uh, yet God did deliver them. God calls us to come to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. no matter what we're experiencing, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. Matthew eleven thirty. for my yoke is easy. That sounds good, doesn't it? For my burden is light, easy and light when it comes to the, to, to the life that we have. And, and here's the thing, most of the time, we're just going to wing it until, we, until it happens. And God says, why are you winging it? Why are you trying it? If you'll just come to me, it's going to be light and it's going to be easy. What makes life hard? Not God. I make life hard. God says, if you come to me, life's not going to be hard. Life's going to be easy. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have any trouble. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any setbacks. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any difficulty. But when we're going the way God wants us to go, even in the midst of that, it can be easy. It can be light. So let's, like we heard this morning, I keep going back to that, but it made an impact on my heart. Let's not take our burden to the Lord and then pick it back up and take it home with us. I'm good at that. Okay, God, I'm going to give you this burden. And three days later, I go back and I take it back. <laughs> well, that's not very smart. I won't say the D-U-M-B, but that's not very smart. <laughs> so remember what God says. So provision of deliverance. Secondly, the provision of freedom. That's our whole theme of this series, freedom. Look at verse 6 again. I will rid you out of their bondage. So God said, I'm going to completely set you free. You're not only going to be out from under the burdens, you're going to be delivered, but you're also going to have freedom. Think about the bondage of sin. And that's not just for unsaved people, that's also for saved people. But that's not the way God wants us to live. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Think about bond, think about that word bondage for a minute. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to ask you for some feedback here in a minute. We don't do this very often, but let's think about this thought. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the question, and then we're going to read Romans 8, and we'll see if anybody has any feedback. So here's the question. Some areas of freedom and growth that you have seen in your life since you got saved. 
Is there an area of freedom or growth in your life that you would like to share? I'm not looking for a, uh, you know, five-minute discussion on it. Just quickly, like a popcorn. And by the way, this isn't to say, look at me. This is to say, I'm sharing this because I hope this will not only glorify God, and it will, but maybe it'll be encouragement to someone else. But let's see what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me, what? Free. Free from the law of sin and death. So, the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has set us free. So, again, is there something in your life, just quickly, that since you got saved, that you have seen freedom in this area, or you've seen growth in this area? Does anybody have one? Again, just a, just a quick statement about it. Freedom and growth. Yes, sir, right over here. Praise the Lord. Did everybody hear that? Do you mind if I repeat that? Okay. <laughs> he used to be a drunkard, but now he doesn't drink anymore. Wow. Praise the Lord. That's what we're talking. It doesn't have to be that, but it could be your, what's yours, though. Thank you for sharing that, Brother Carlos. To God be the glory. Okay, negativity used to be very negative, and now you're more on the positive side. Good, good. You were depressed, and you're not anymore. There you go. After you got saved. Yes, ma'am. Fear of death. Good one. Don't fear death anymore. Why? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Somebody else. Victory, freedom, since you got saved. Anybody in here ever have a problem with a quick, quick tongue? Anybody ever have a problem with a quick tongue? Yeah. That's a tough one. Okay, right here. Drug addict. And no longer. Set free. Praise the Lord. Miss Ina. Cancer free. Praise the Lord for, for healing. Last chance. Yes, sir. Greater faith. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir. Used to have a short temper. Amen. Growth in not allowing bitterness to take hold. Good. All these are good. Yes. A worry wart. <laughs> I added the wart part. Used to be a worrier. Good. Why worry when you can pray? Yes, sir. You have peace, joy, and now. Yes. Good. Peace of God. Good. Being cheerful in giving. Good. Good.
Praise the Lord for these. Amen? Well, when we read the Bible, by the way, freedom, when you read that about Egypt, it's not just the story about people in sandals in the desert. It's, it's our story, too. It's, it's our freedom. It's your freedom. And only God can provide it. Thank you for sharing. And we give God the glory. So, provision of deliverance, provision of freedom. Thirdly, provision of redemption. The final part of this promise, this threefold promise, within that one verse of Exodus, is of a coming redemption. Notice at the end, I will redeem you with, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. Now my reach and your reach is limited. But I'm thankful tonight to remind us all that the reach of God is unlimited. He can reach down and pick up any sinner like me and any sinner like you and lift us up out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. The reach of God is unlimited. And don't lose heart and don't stop praying for someone who you know tonight who is not saved. They might be the last person on the world. You say, Pastor Turner, you don't know. That's the last person on the world that will ever get saved is my fill in the blank. But I'm telling you tonight that God's arm can stretch a long way. Now they've got to turn to him. He, he gives them that free will, doesn't he? Just like he gave you and me a free will. But my, may we tonight believe once again that the family member that we're staying for, uh, that, that, we're staying for that we're praying for, pray for me, <laughs> that we're praying for is not beyond the outstretched arm of God. I believe that. Notice that word redeem. Okay? It's actually speaking of the kinsman redeemer. Maybe you've heard that term or you remember that term from the book of Ruth. Let's turn to chapter 4 quickly. Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13. Ruth 4, 13. Thank you for the water. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. In Bible times, in order for a slave to be freed, there was a price that had to be paid. For emancipation to be experienced, someone, usually a relative, had to give a ransom, and then freedom was granted. Boaz fulfilled this role of a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Of course, he is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, every one of us, or at some point we were, as we heard tonight, victory over things, but 
We were in slavery to sin, yet we have a kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sin. Romans 5.12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was our kinsman and is our kinsman redeemer. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many to be that kinsman redeemer so number one big number one a redemption number two big number two a relationship a relationship notice verse number seven and i will take you to to me for a people so it wasn't just think about this this is really good when you read that verse and then you think about our life it wasn't that God was just saying, I'm just going to get you out of Egypt, and then you're on your own. Aren't you glad God didn't say that to us? I'm just going to get you out of sin, the penalty of sin, then you're on your own. you got to figure it out now. Wow. If he had done that, I don't think any of us would be here. So we see the picture here in Exodus 6-7 also can be seen in our lives. He says, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be your God, be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. He goes, you're going to know me. Think about this. You're going to know who I am. You're going to know that I brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. It wasn't that God wanted the people to look at him as some far away, distant God. Way out there and wherever there's God. And hopefully we can talk to him. No, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is saying, I'm, I'm going to get you out of Egypt so that we can have a relationship. There's too many pagan gods in Egypt. I've got to get you out of there. So when I get you out of there, I want you to know that I'm God. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I've provided for you. I want a relationship. What an amazing principle, even thousands of years later, that's what the God of heaven is saying. Look, salvation is not just a golden ticket from Charlie Chocolate Factory, okay? How many Charlotte Chocolate Factory fans we got here, okay? I'm talking about the old one, all right? That's not what salvation is. Okay, you get a golden ticket. You get to go in the chocolate factory. You get to go to heaven. No, it's not just that. It's so much more than that. Notice the next point. It is a gracious choice. A gracious choice. God loved Israel so much that he said, I will take you. It's like choosing, you know, choosing the football team at, at recess or choosing the basketball team at recess or choosing uh, whatever the team, whatever, some kind of a game. And, you know, uh, there's always somebody that just, for some reason, they just get picked last all the time. And you're just hoping that's not you. <laughs> I always hoped it wasn't me, you know. I don't want to be the last one, you know. 
But here's God looking at Israel, and he's saying, I pick you. I pick you. I will take you to me. Wow, for a people. I just can't get above that. What amazing love and grace that he would choose them. This choice of a relationship between God and his people is similar to the promise of, a, of wedding vows. Where we, where we are choosing our spouse, our, our bride. We're choosing the groom, our groom. God chose Israel because of grace. He wasn't taking them because they deserved it. He wasn't taking them because they had earned it. He took them because of his compassion and love. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For thou art not a people. Deuteronomy, oh, that's Exodus. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Turn over. I, I turn to Exodus. It is for thou art not a people. For thou art not a people. For thou art, excuse me, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Am I looking at the right verse? Yeah. Hath chosen thee, Lord thy God, hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest. But because the Lord loved you, and we'll, we'll just stop there for time. His compassion and love are the same toward you and me today. In the sense that we are not saved tonight. I am not on my way to heaven tonight. Because for some, there's something that I can point back to in my 50 years of life. And I can point back to this time. And I can say, this is why I deserve to be saved. There's nothing there that I deserve to be saved. But it's only by the grace of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm not worthy of God's love. By the way, God's love is never based on my merit. Never, God's uh, love is never based on your worthiness. It is proactive. It is unconditional. It is a gracious choice. Number two, we see a gracious care. A gracious care. When God proclaimed his intention of a relationship, he also promised to care for them. Look at Exodus 6, 7, please. He said, and I will be to you a God. So he said to them, I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to deliver you. I want to have fellowship with you, but I want you to know something. I'm going to take care of you. Exodus 20, 2 and 3, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I trust tonight that our relationship with God is number one. Number one. And there's a lot of things that are vying for number one sometimes. But God deserves number one, and God only. So, redemption, relationship, thirdly, remembrance. Remembrance. Verse 8 of our text. 
He said, and I will bring you unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he says, I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. So he didn't promise just to redeem them, to have a relationship with them, but he also said, I'm not going to forget that I have a promise that I'm going to fulfill, and I promised it to your fathers. What did he promise them? Number one, to give them a land. A land. God promised to remember the promise. <laughs> so he promises to remember the promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them a land of their own. We find this promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. It didn't matter how long it took, and it, never, it, it, it doesn't matter how long it would take today for God to fulfill his promise. It was now about 600 years later, about 600 years later from that until where we are tonight, not tonight, but in this in, in Exodus, okay? God was sticking to his promise. But not only does God promise his people a land, physically speaking, but he also promises you and me, us, a future land. John 14, 3. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's a promise. Is that going to happen in my lifetime? I don't know. But I know I'm ready to go by the way of the upper taker or by the undertaker, either one. I'm ready. Rest assured, God never forgets or never will not uh, go back on his promises. So he promised to give them a land, a land. Secondly, he promised to give them a legacy, a legacy. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said that your seed would inherit and possess the land forever. Let's turn over to Genesis 13, please. Genesis 13. Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look 
from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. So that was the promise that God made to Abraham, to Abram, in Genesis 13. And now we go to our text, Hebrews, or excuse me, Exodus 6, 8. And God is now reiterating or reviewing, if you will, that promise to give his people a heritage. As he says there in the verses that we read, a legacy. So, where do we see these promises fulfilled in the future history of the Israelites? Well, we're going to give four quickly, okay? We're almost done. We're probably going to be done a little bit early. Keep that in mind. We want Patch Club and the teens to have their time, but I think I might be done just a little bit early tonight. Number one, he brought them into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. So that was a promise. That was the land that he said you're going to have, and it happened. Now, we, we're not covering all of that in God's Word, but we know this has been fulfilled. Number two, he sent them into Babylonian captivity for a time of judgment. Even though they had everything going for them, you know what happened? They said, you know what? I think we're going to do things our way. God said, you know what? Okay. But well, you're going to have to be judged for that. And that happened. Number three, he brought them back to their land yet again. That's the mercy of God, isn't it? And number four, even though they were scattered after the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, God brought them back yet again in 1948. Which by the way was a which by the way is a very important date, a very important time in the timeline of the things of the Lord. And they're there today. They became a nation once again in 1948. So God gave the promise to Israel to deliver them. And yet they struggled with doubt. Why, why would that be the case? Because they were looking at life through experience. You know, I, that's what I do. I look through life, Brother Carlos, with my limited experience. But I should not look through life through experience. You know what I should look, how I should look through life, not by experience, but by revelation. This is how I should look through life. This is God's revelation to you and to me. Because some of my experience and some of your experience that you've gone through in life, uh, because, of, because of sin, I'm not necessarily saying your sin per se, 
But all of the things that we would look at in life and say, this is not an experience that I would ever want to have happen again, it's because, of the, because we're a fallen man. We are fallen mankind. And many people have disappointed us, and we've disappointed many people. And so I don't want to look through even my good experiences because they can cloud my view and they can begin to cause me to think, yeah, I'm pretty good. Look what I've been able to accomplish. No, I don't want to look through my experiences, whether they be thumbs down or thumbs up. I want to look at life through the revelation of God. Because if God said it, it doesn't matter even if I believe it, it's going to happen. This is what I want to look through life. And see, what happened was with Israel was they were looking at life more through their experiences less than their revelation. In other words, God said, I'm going to do this. The problem is we look at our watch and we say, God, you said you were going to do it, but I thought that meant you were going to do it five minutes ago. And God says, I don't have a watch, an apple or a whatever. I don't have any of those. Or an old-fashioned one with hands on it, you know? I don't have a clock. But God's going to do whatever he promised he's going to do. Hudson Taylor said, all my life has been so fickle. Sometimes I could trust, sometimes I could not. But when I could not trust, then I reckoned that God would be faithful. There is a text that says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. An interesting play on that by Hudson Taylor. There are times in life when I struggle to believe in the faithfulness of God. Possibly you would relate to that as well, but our doubt never dissuades God's faithfulness. He's promised us tonight the same thing he promised Israel to be delivered by an outstretched arm. Number one, he promised us redemption. Deliverance from sin. Forgiveness of sin. He promised and offered us a relationship. I love you. I want you to know me. I'm not some far off distant God. I'm near there's a song, I, I, I don't remember all the ver words, but part of the lyrics are, God is near, and then it goes on and on and on. I'll have to find that one. And then, God will never forget us. A home in heaven with him is our final destiny. His promises hold fast. His word is true. My redemption, your relationship, our eternal remembrance are secured. Tonight, his arm is still outstretched to us. And praise God for the change that he makes. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new.